please remain standing and turn in your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, as we continue our study through the Sermon on the Mount. And in the study of the Sermon on the Mount, we're now in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6 and verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would come by your spirit, that you would teach us your word, that you would teach us how to pray. We pray now that through your word we would see and hear your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Our need and God's mead. That is not a typo. Mead, M-E-E-D, is an old archaic word that means a fit return. What is justly due someone? Something that is rightly deserved. Praise, glory, holy reverence is what is justly due to God. His mead. And mead rhymes with need, so that worked out fine. Now we come to the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. John Calvin summarized this request. We should wish God to have the honor he deserves. Men should never speak or think of him without the highest reverence. Jesus taught us that before we get to our needs and desires in prayer, we must begin with praying that God would have the honor he deserves among his creatures. The honor he deserves is his meed. So we'll call this our need, and God's need. Let's get to it. First, in this passage, we see our goal. Our goal. Look at verse 9. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The old Dutch preacher, Wilhelmus Brackel, said that this first petition of the Lord's Prayer sets out our goal. 
He said our ultimate goal is the primary objective of our pursuit and that the Lord Jesus in the first petition establishes the glorification of God's name as the goal as to why we are seeking the other petitions. In other words, the Lord's prayer begins with hallowed be thy name because that is the honor of God's name is to be the purpose behind everything else. Why do we ask for daily bread? So that we can live to honor God's name another day. Why do we ask forgiveness? Because we dishonor his name when we sin. We need forgiveness so that we can be restored to fellowship with God and properly honor his name. The first answer of the Shorter Catechism teaches us that our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is our primary purpose for existence, the glory of God. Calvin again pointed out that the need for us even to pray, hallowed be thy name, is associated with our great shame. For what is more unworthy than for God's glory to be obscured partly by our ungratefulness, partly by our ill will, and so far as lies in our power, destroyed by our presumption and insane impudence. You see, the sin inherent in the human race has turned us against our purpose. Rather than giving God glory, the entire human race obscures his glory through ungratefulness, ill will, presumption, and impudence, acting all high and mighty. This is why we are to begin our prayer with hallowed be thy name. And Calvin says, it is to the shame, it is to our shame that we even have to pray such a thing. But we are so bent up by sin, we must have tremendous help to do it. Let's say you have some rare disease that's fatal. And this is This is a, a hypothetical situation here. But you have this rare fatal disease and there happens to be one doctor in the whole world who knows how to treat this disease effectively. And let's say that this doctor, for whatever reason, happens to be in Miami, Florida. You've got a week to live if you don't start treatment. So you think, I got to get down to this doctor in Miami as soon as possible. You drive down, 
77 to Columbia. Get on 26 east. You go a little past Orangeburg, and then you get on I-95. But you start heading north on 95. You go up through Florence, Lumberton, Fayetteville, Richmond, Virginia, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, New York, Boston. Then just past the little community of Holton, Maine, you have to stop when you hit the Canadian border. And you ask, how do I get to Miami? You've already spent two days driving 1,300 miles in dead wrong direction. And he tells you to get to Miami. You've got to turn around and drive the full length of I-95 south. And that is 1,900 miles. Now here's the point. It doesn't matter where you get gas, where you spend the night, where you stop to eat. If you're trying to get to the southernmost city in the United States, more or less, driving north. You're going to die. None of the other things matter. The gas, the rest, the food, all the other needs, they don't matter if they are not for the purpose of taking you in the right direction to get to the doctor who can save your life. In fact, the rest of it is a total meaningless waste if you are not headed toward the goal. And if our ultimate goal, our chief end and aim in life is anything other than the glory of God, everything else, all the other needs, all the other activities and interests, they will turn out to be a total meaningless waste in the end. Priority number one is to get turned back around toward the purpose for which God made the world. His own glory. That's our goal. Secondly, in this passage... We see our God's name, our God's name. He says to pray, hallowed be thy name. Now, God's name basically indicates two things, his person and his reputation. First, let's think about his person. Earlier, we sang... In this service from Psalm 20, let the name of Jacob's God from every ill defend. Of course, it is Jacob's God himself who does the defending. The name is representative of the person. If I sign my name to a fraudulent document, the law 
is not going to cut the signature line off the bottom of the paper and burn it to punish my name. No, the law's going to come after me. When you sign your name, you literally put yourself on the line, the signature line. So obviously, at the most basic level, when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we are praying that neither we ourselves nor anyone else will use his name lightly, irreverently, in vain. But it's more than that. A person could never use God's name in a vulgar and profane way, go their whole life and never actually say his name in the wrong way, never mention him at all for that matter, and still dishonor the Lord himself. The old Puritan, Thomas Watson, listed 16 ways to hallow the name of God. First, Profess his name. Second, have a high appreciation and esteem of him and set him highest in our thoughts. Three, trust in his name. Four, never mention his name but with the highest reverence. Five, love his name. Six, give him a holy and spiritual worship. Seven, hallow his day, the Lord's day today. And he hits this one hard. He says, some will hear the word, but leave all their religion at church. They do nothing at home. They do not pray or repeat the word in their houses and so rob God or a part of his day. It is lamentable to see how God's day is profaned. Let no man think God's name is hallowed while his Sabbath is broken. Eight, ascribe the honor of all we do to him. Nine, obey him. Watson asked, how does a son more honor his father than by obedience? Ten, lift up his name in our praises. Eleven, Grieve when his name is dishonored. Twelve, give the same honor to the son that we give to the father. Thirteen, stand up for his truths. Fourteen, make as many converts as we can to him. When by all holy expedience, counsel, prayer, example, we endeavor the salvation of others. Fifteen, prefer the honor of his name before our own credit, our worldly profit and interest, and our own life. And 16, we hallow God's name by a holy life. He says, a holy life speaks louder than all the anthems and praises in the world. That's what we're praying for. To honor the person of God. Or to be more precise, the three persons of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We're to honor his person. But his name also indicates his reputation. 
We're praying that we won't give God a bad name. Claim to be a Christian. Known in a community as a member of such and such church. But known to be crooked. Mean-spirited. Drunk. Gambling. Promiscuous. Undependable. Gossip. Backbiting. Bickering. Grumpy. Etc. He gives God a bad name. And it gives his church a bad name. What kind of reputation does your life give God and the Clover ARP Church in this community? It is not outside the realm of possibility that some of us are giving God and his church a bad name. Like anything else, the Lord's Prayer in many churches has sadly become an empty tradition. It's something that's said every Sunday but hardly anyone gives it a thought. And like so many traditions, it becomes sacrosanct. In churches all over the world, there are church members who would fight if the Lord's Prayer were taken out of the liturgy of the service for no other reason than it's a tradition. It's what we've always done. And yet in real life, They've been working against the prayer all their lives. They mouthed the words, Hallowed be thy name, on Sunday morning and spend the rest of the week giving God a bad name. That's our God's name. We see our goal. We see our God's name. And thirdly and finally... We see our own good. Our own good. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our goal of our lives and eternity must be to glorify God. But not because he needs it. God does not need any glory from us. A Breckle again says, when we pray, hallowed be thy name, then we must not imagine that we are praying on behalf of the Lord, as if we could contribute anything to him, and as if by hallowing his name we could increase his glory. To do so would be to dishonor God, for he is perfect, and self-sufficient. When we dishonor the Lord by our lives, fail to hallow his name and give him a bad name here on earth, we do not hurt him one bit. We do not diminish anything about him. He does not need anything from us. He does not derive anything from us. 
For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given unto him? And it shall be recompensed to him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. God stands completely independent of his creatures. He did not create us because he needed anything from us. He's not the eternal narcissist who thought, I need to receive more glory so I will create the world so I can hear more praise. Oh, no. Again, Breckle says, it is not God's felicity, but rather man's, that he knows, serves, and praises God. It's not for his good. It's for our good. It is a grace that we may do so. And it will be the highest purpose and felicity, pure joy of our lives if we are permitted to do so and actually do it. To honor the name of God is for our own good. Our help is in the name of the Lord. There is eternal life in the name of the Lord. The Apostle John wrote, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in His name. Paul says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name above every name. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were imprisoned by the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem for healing a lame man at the temple and then preaching the name of Jesus. The council told the apostles again and again not to talk and preach about the name of Jesus. And if you read that section of Acts 
you see that the name of Jesus was what the Christians were known by as what they suffered for. But listen to these words from Acts chapter 4. Just listen. It came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as the high priest, Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, remember they helped a a lame beggar, they healed him. By what means has he been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name. No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be Saved. There is salvation, forgiveness, redemption, defense, and there's help in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and only in the name of Jesus. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called upon his name? Have you bowed your knee and confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has the name that is above every name? Have you? Then sing how sweet the name of Jesus sounds. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.